Hey everybody, I'm Paul Valley, and this is the Payoff Pitch on Fanimal Radio, presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. And joining me today is the senior editor from Utah Street Report and Russell Street Report, Derek Arnold, who also happened to join me for Birdland Radio back at the end of March. Uh, Derek, thanks for joining the show again. How are you, man? Great to be here again, Paul. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on your recent big news. Everyone doesn't know, Paul got engaged at the Oriole game last week, like a true Orioles fan. It wasn't so, tacky, though. I wasn't in the stands with a proposal on the on the screen. But we it was classy. We rented a skybox and surprised my now fiance uh, with her side of the family, my side of the family. Um, and it was it was a really perfect day. Ruiz ended up hitting a walk off home run. So couldn't have scripted it any better. It was a perfect day to start the rest of my life with the woman of my dreams. Beautiful. So moving on before I get too choked up. Here, That's enough good news. Let's talk about the Orioles. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So. The Orioles, everybody knows, they just won their 40th game last night, 4-1. to Hunter Harvey got his first major league win in just his second major league appearance. Dylan Bundy went seven innings strong. Michael Gibbons closed it out for his 10th save. All three guys who were drafted by the Orioles in the first or second round pitched for the, pitched for the ball club last night and had a big impact in the win. Yeah, and um, my my boy, hands are the answer, Alberto, with the the deciding three-run shot in, was it the bottom of the eighth? Bottom of the eighth. Bottom of the eighth, yes. At that um, got Hunter Harvey his, his first major league win. I was thinking that if a player does something like that, that was drafted while Adam Jones was here, Jones should come back for the pie. He should, yeah, just get the, get on the red eye and come in. Maybe the pie will be late. Maybe he'll do it before the game today. Like a special but. stipulation. I mean, Hunter Harvey's drafted in 2013. He's, in our minds, he's part of those birds, right? So right. come on, right. Adam. Well, yeah, and we just have to make sure that Mark Trumbo is on his rehab assignment uh, if we want to get Jones back. Or being a bouncer somewhere. Yeah, right, right. Holding, holding people back from holding playing the manager. But, so, yeah, it was a solid win for the Orioles last night. They're few and far between for this ball club these days. They're 40-89 and 89 or 40-89. That was the first one since you got engaged. Yeah, that was the first, first one since I got engaged. So maybe maybe I need to do this more often, apparently. After their 0-7 road trip, I believe. Yeah, they, it, it was bad. They, they went 1-12 in 13 games against the Astros, Yankees, and uh, Red, Red Sox. Sox. It, was not a, and just, it was not pretty. And just finding new and just disgusting ways to win. Like, Sunday's game, I was driving home from the beach listening, and it was when they just had their first of, like, two in a row sixth-inning blow-ups. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a, a pop-up that should have been the second out of the inning, and it was to the side of the field that had been shifted from um, Renato Nunez was playing third base and, like, didn't make an effort to go get the pop-up. You had um, the second baseman, um, VR, coming from the other side of the field, sprinting across, and then he throws home, and somehow the runner clips Chance Cisco's arm, and he falls down, so there's no one covering home, and another run scores. Right. I, I had to go back and watch the game just to try to – because – on the radio is like, I'm trying to understand how this could be happening. And it was every bit as bad as I thought. And I, I really just wanted to hear Jim Palmer's exasperation in watching this. And as always, he did not disappoint. Yeah, and Eric Garditti, who was on the show a while back, uh, was joking around on Twitter saying that at the beginning of the year, he said that this is going to be the season and we hear Jim Palmer <laughs> dropping the F-bomb on television. And if he was ever going to do it, it was going to be in that game. And then to add insult to injury in that seemingly three-hour-long sixth inning on, on uh, what was it, Sunday? Sunday. On Sunday. Then you have, in the same inning, Chan Cisco takes a ball right off the one place you don't want to take a right ball. Right off the boys. Another Caleb Joseph. We were, right. We, we, we were worried. You know, he might be headed for the same operation. Fortunately, he's been cleared to play. But, yeah, like that was literally five minutes after he was on the ground because his elbow got hurt. 
He right. took one right to the boys. So just, yeah. just baseball. Yeah. Well, in the Orioles, it seems to me that these catchers in this organization, they have a magnet in that general area because it yeah. happened to Caleb. Didn't it happen to Wellington Castillo? It did. As people, uh, shortly thereafter. As people on Twitter reminded me, it was the same date the following year. Right. <laughs> exactly yes. a year apart. And this one was probably pretty close. But three guys in four years taking one off the boys. And for Caleb Joseph, that was in a zero home run, zero RBI season. So that was definitely insult to injury. But it's so symbolic of being an Orioles fan. The catchers feel our pain. Oh my god. We, 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 we take foul balls off the sack every, yeah. every <laughs> night that we watch. Foul balls game. off the proverbial sack every single night <laughs> watching this team. But speaking of adding insult to injury, the Orioles are the face of rebuilding in baseball right now. You can look at the or tankers. Or tanking. And you know, a lot of people don't like that word tanking. I went as far as to say that the Orioles are tanking in the show last week, and I tried to explain it as the players themselves aren't tanking. The players are on the field, they're trying their hardest to win ball games, but the club as a whole, the franchise, the organization, they are not trying to be good this year. They're not trying to win ball games this year, and by definition, that is tanking. They didn't do things to make sure that they had a team that could be competitive this year because they want to be competitive later. Right, and it doesn't make sense to spend money on players when you can spend money on a few free agents and maybe win 70 games. What's the point in that? John Heyman seems to think that's a good idea, and we'll get into that in a second. We had a whole tangent about that last week. But this Orioles team, face of rebuilding, the face of tanking right now, despite the Tigers having a worse record right now, and they're getting a lot of hate. They're getting a lot of hate. We mentioned John Heyman with his hateful tweets basically since the, since the draft was over. Then you look at John Taylor, who wrote an article for Sports Illustrated recently, saying that the worst teams in baseball should be relegated to the minor leagues, to AAA, the following season, like the Premier League does. And I think that he was saying in that article, the Premier League takes the six worst teams in the league. And soccer? In soccer, yes, I'm sorry. For so soccer. I don't know much about soccer, but I know the Premier League is soccer. And they take the six worst teams in one season, they move them to basically their minor leagues the next and I could not believe that this was an article that A, was greenlit, B, was published, and C, that anybody could possibly take seriously. That it was published somewhere like Sports Illustrated, right? But I right. mean, we're, we're years into Sports Illustrated becoming, you know, sort of a clickbaity thing. Like everything else now, you have to get the eyeballs, you have to get the, the views on your ads. I completely understand where they're coming from. It's just sad as someone, I'm sure you did, like I had to grew up waiting for your dad's Sports Illustrated to show up so you could read it, right. cover to cover. Good stuff, and now you have just this clickbait crap. Um, John Taylor, I, th I think his first point in the article was about Chris Davis and how much he's getting paid. Mm -hmm. And so to me, when you're saying the Orioles aren't even trying and they're tanking, whatever, you're completely ignoring what happened to get them to this point, right? right? Like a year ago, they weren't tanking. A year ago, they went all in. They tried to keep their players longer than they should have. They, they spent a lot of money over the last... The earlier part of this decade, the Orioles always had a top 10 opening day payroll mm -hmm. in a small slash medium market. We can argue about that whatever later, but they were spending money. They were trying to compete. The bottom fell out, as we all know. What do you want them to do? Like, right. Why should they go sign another pitcher for $50, $60 million who might help them win five more games? Right. What? How does that help anything? And like you were saying, we didn't hear this kind of thing when the Cubs were doing it and the Astros were doing it. And as Orioles fans... It's bad enough we have to watch this, but 
But now just adding to the Baltimore inferiority complex, you have to have these national writers saying that we shouldn't be in the league and we should be moved, that we should be relegated, and there should be a mercy rule. Just shut up. <laughs> just right. We, we all know what this is. Just go cover the teams that you want to cover who, when the Yankees and Astros are winning 100-plus games, but just ignore the fact that when that happens, someone has to lose 100 games too. Right. Right? Exactly. And you're ignoring the fact that the Orioles, they spent... $10 million a year on Brian Roberts, and out of a possible like 500 games, he played like 220. They spent $10 million a year on Nick Marcakis, $18 million a year on Adam Jones. They paid Chris Davis. Hardy. Hardy, who got $14 million a year and then never hit a home run after that. You look at Giovanni Gallardo, Ubaldo Jimenez, Alex Cobb. Yep. You're spending money on these guys, and it's not working out for the team. Now you have to try something different, right? And... It's to me. It's why are we ignoring the fact that the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1992 to 2013 never made the playoffs, or the fact that the Seattle Mariners haven't made the playoffs since 2001? There are teams that are bad year in and year out. They have nothing to show for their franchise, and they're ignored. The Orioles are, yeah, they're a laughing stock. They're not a good baseball team. But like, we get back to insult to injury. You have to kick a team when they're down. And. You know, the Orioles, you would expect, if they had gone out and hired some retread GM, I would maybe understand this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. They hired Michael Elias and Sigmoidel. You'd think these guys who praised the Astros for years would give them more than a, less than a year before they sort of just start piling on. Like, right. give them the benefit of the doubt. They have a plan in place. It might not work, but it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't justify the, the sniping and the clickbait from people who should, who should frankly know better. Oh, I absolutely agree. And then you look at, you know, John Heyman, who is really outspoken about how bad the Orioles are. And then the other night he posted a tweet about Adley Rutschman's 5-for-5 five five game. And he says... Was he trolling us? I, I don't know. I'm not sure either. But but he says, future superstar Adley Rutschman. Right. Literally the day after, he says that this team has no business being out there. Not Maybe not the day after, but Whatever. it felt like the uh -huh. day after. And it's just like... They all run together. Right. They, when, when, when the season is this long, they do all run It was together. one of the days that the sixth inning went bad. Right, which is like every, <laughs> every, every day, right? Outscored by over 100 it, runs in the sixth inning. It happened again on Monday to John Means. Like, I, I, I looked at the app and saw he's pitching no hitter. Through five innings. Let me turn this one. In the sixth inning, you have this. Oh, so it's your fault, Terry. It always. <laughs> like, I saw a fly ball. Like, Jace Peterson is, like, running in circles trying to get this ball that should have been caught. And... It, at, at some point, it is frustrating watching infielders play the outfield, mm -hmm. watching corner outfielders play center field. Mm -hmm. And that's why you end up with just this folly of errors time after time. And, you know, from that perspective, it, it, I can sort of see, like, what, what's the play in there? Right. But, you know, the Orioles, they're running guys out there. They're trying to get guys different chances. Poor Brandon Hyde's trying to plug holes on the Titanic here. Mm -hmm. Just get through the season. As bad as the pitching's been. The defense has almost been equally as bad, and it's because you have people playing out of position. Right. And you on, on any given day, you could have Jace Peterson, who's normally a third baseman or a second baseman, playing left field, and Stevie Wilkerson, who's normally a infielder by nature, playing center field, and then Trey Mancini, who's a first baseman, playing right field. You could have three infielders in the outfield right. on any given day starting for this team. I don't think that's going to be the case moving forward starting next year. Right. But for this year... Again, you get back to the whole tanking thing. Why? What major league team is going to play three infielders in the outfield for the majority of a season? 
apparently the Baltimore Orioles. Right. And so, you know, if you want to criticize them for that specifically, I can get on board. If you want to whine about Chris Davis, who's getting paid $23 million, and say that they're tanking, they should try harder and spend more money, that that just doesn't work out in my mind. Right. And like getting back to the whole John Heyman thing, bashing a team for rebuilding and then praising the team that got praising a player that the team that you're bashing got because of the rebuild and because they were so bad. It just it's a it's a conflicting idea and he had no control on this. Had yeah. no because it just it just doesn't make sense otherwise. Now moving forward you look at the fact that the Orioles are losing a lot of blowout games. Last year they lost I think they lost thirty five games by a blowout, which is by definition five runs or more. This year they're already up to thirty eight or thirty nine of those types of losses. So even though they're on pace to win more games than last year they're technically a little bit worse right. this year. And a lot of those blowouts, you've seen games 23-2, to 13-2, 16-2. And the Yankees, they were on the receiving end of one of those blowout losses the other day. They lost, I think they lost, what was it, 19-6 or 19-7 to the White Sox? Right, yeah. And Aaron Boone comes out and says that he thinks Major League Baseball should implement a slaughter rule so the teams don't have to go through this. This coming from a guy whose team won 102 games last year. They're on pace to win 100-plus this year, and they're probably going to go at least as far as the ALCS. It's like, you can take one on the chin every now and again, right? Like, we have Stevie Wilkerson, who's, who's pitched in six games this year, and you're complaining because you lost one game by 12 runs. Yeah, I, I can't get on board with um, implementing a mercy rule either. Um, it would cut down probably all the position players pitching. You see, it's like every day from um, baseball, and there's a position player pitching somewhere, which is... Funny in some ways, sad in others, but, I mean, you would get into a whole thing with the players' union because players have incentives for at-bats and things in their contracts, and if you tell them, if you start winning a game by 12 runs, you're not going to get any more at-bats that game. Mm-hmm. Like, there's going to be a whole fight. It's just it's just another silly thing, uh, and I'm glad it was Aaron Boone saying it and not, like, the commissioner or something who just wants to change rules every year to be more like football. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, Mercy Rule gets a big thumbs down from me, uh, and that's coming from Orioles fan, so. right? <laughs> where every game should be a right. Mercy Rule, and it's 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 you look at the way the game is going in the Independent Atlantic League. You have uh, you can steal first base. They have the robot umpires in the minor leagues. Once you get to the extra innings, they start with the runner on second base. Next year, Major League Baseball, they're going to implement a reliever has to face a minimum of three batters before you can take them back out of the game. It's just one of those things where it sounds far-fetched, but baseball's headed in that direction. They're headed in the direction. They're trying to shorten games. And games where the final score is 23-2, to like the Orioles lost to the Astros last Saturday, uh, that game probably would have been an hour shorter if there was a mercy rule. Not saying I'm for it. I'm definitely not for the mercy rule, but it would. what I'm saying is it would not surprise me if baseball started to move in that direction because they want to shorten games and they're already implementing these other things that five years ago sounded ridiculous. Right, yeah, and there was just an article earlier this week, I think it, would, it quoted guys like Pete Rose and Goose Gossage about um, just sort of um, how bad, and Joe Madden, surprisingly, like how bad baseball's become as far as three true outcomes. It's like 36% of at-bats this year are a home run, a walk, a hit-by-pitch, or a strikeout. To me, as a baseball fan, that's bad baseball. That's not what I want to watch. Right. However, I'm, I don't know how you can sort of legislate that out of the game. Like, this is what baseball is going through, going through right now. It's evolved to this point. I think you have to just let it evolve out of this point. And, like, a couple years ago, 
when things weren't even this bad. I remember the Kansas City Royals, Royals fans, sorry, of 2014 and 15. Like, they were at the bottom of the league in strikeouts and walks both years. Mm-hmm. And they did really, really well. Right. And I remember thinking, all right, somebody else is going to try to mimic this model. But they were apparently just a blip on the radar because everyone has still moved towards strikeout, we don't care, hit more home runs all the time. And, again, as a, as a baseball fan, it's not good. But I don't think changing rules on the fly is really the way to fix it. And I think the commissioner, for all the silly things he's done, he's in a, in a, a bit of a tough spot uh, as far as that goes. Right. And, I mean, you look at it now, you have more guys than ever that are hitting 100 miles an hour in the radar gun, um, which, on the one hand, you would think you can see why strikeouts would be up because who can hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball? That's ridiculous. you got to start swinging when, before the guy gets the ball to his ear. Uh, then walks are going to be up because how do you really control a 100-mile-an-hour fastball? You know what I mean? A lot, a lot, they're good. A lot of guys can, can control them, but probably not as well as they could control it if they, ran, if they geared it down to 92, 93. Right. right? And then home runs. Home runs are up because we've talked about it at length on this, on this show in the past. The ball's juiced. Uh, we won't the get into an, another tangent on that. And ballparks ball are time. And ballparks are time. They're all they're band boxes, yep. especially in the American League East. And, but if you run into a 100-mile-an-hour fastball in the barrel, it's that ball's going to go 400-plus feet. Right. Right. So I can see why the three true outcomes are happening at a higher rate now. I think that the one thing that they can do to knock it off is to go back to normal baseball. Unjuice the baseball, yes. Un- unjuice the baseball. That's really the only thing you can do because you're not going to get guys to stop throwing 100. You're not going to get guys to stop to stop swinging at fastballs down the middle. You might as well unjuice the baseball because is there any doubt that the baseball wasn't juiced back in 2014 when Nelson Cruz hit 40 home runs and led the majors yeah, in right. home runs? They didn't like that. Compared to now. Com- compared, yeah. compared to now where you're going to have... They're going to set the record by like 700. Right, right, and you, you're going to have at least four guys that are going to hit 50-plus, <clears throat> you know, which it used to be, there used to be like one guy every couple of years. Right, and like everyone in those lineups has at least eight, nine, ten home runs, which was unheard of back mm-hmm. in the day, right? You'd have guys with one or two. Right, unless you face the Orioles every day, then every guy has 36 <laughs> Right, and so I'm sure you've talked about this plenty, about how the Orioles are, I think they're one away from setting the new record right. um, for home runs in the season, but what no one else talks about uh, there's like three or four other teams that are also on pace to break that record. Not by as much as the Orioles, mm-hmm. but so you'll have like five teams that broke the old record for, for home runs allowed. And in the same season. In the same season. And the first step is to admit you have a problem. Admit that you juice the baseball. Mm-hmm. Let's fix it. Maybe move some fences back and move on from there. As opposed to the other weird things that are getting bandied about. I do like that you brought it up because the Orioles they got to 257 on Monday. And then they didn't give up on run on Tuesday, so they, they, they're still short of the Cincinnati Reds' record, but it's probably coming today, and they're probably going to pass that record yeah, today. Yeah. It's just, it's just knowing Orioles baseball. But, look, we're going to get into some uh, better, more enjoyable topics to talk about when we get back from the break, but first a word from our sponsor. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting. And once again, joining me in the studio today is Derek Arnold, the senior editor from Russell Street Report and Utah Street Report. 
we talked a lot about some of the bad things going on with the Orioles and all the hatred going towards the team, but we can talk about some of the good stuff going on with the ball club now. First thing first, Adley Rutschman, number one overall pick in the draft. Monday night had the had a career game in his short career to this point. Five for five, uh, home run, a bases loaded, bases clearing triple, four RBIs, four sixty-two over his last ten games to raise his season average up to three twenty-five, and that earned him a promotion to Del Marva, where he's going to help the Del Marva Shorebirds with their playoff push, their playoff run, and hopefully help them win a uh, a low A championship. Right. So with that in mind. I thought it would be fun to talk about where some of these Orioles' prospects could end up next year, right? So you can look at a guy like Adley Rutschman, started the year in the Gulf Coast League, went up to Aberdeen, got promoted again up to Delmarva. Next year, you would think he probably started Frederick. I would, right? th- I would think so. I would think he started Frederick, probably earned promotion to Bowie, and then have a shot at getting, uh, maybe not by opening day 2021, but being up on the big league club by you know, May of 2021. The way he's progressing, he's already on his third level of professional baseball in his first two months of playing at a professional level. So I don't think that that is too far-fetched. Then you move on, you look at a guy like Gunnar Henderson. This is a guy who, he got off to a slow start with um, with the Gulf Coast League Orioles. Um, Orioles, number, Orioles second round pick, first pick in the second round, Gunnar Henderson, a high school shortstop. But now he's in 282. He's in well over 300. I think he's in 324 in his last 18 games. Would you think that he would start next year at Aberdeen? Do you think they want to get him started early and have him get started maybe at Del Marva instead so he can play a full season? It's interesting. Um, I'll be interested to see uh, sort of what the plan is for those kind of guys. Like um, you talk about Rushman, how he's been sort of getting pushed through the system, but that's at the lower levels. It mm-hmm. seems like at, at, at the higher levels, um, they are being a little bit more true to their word about wanting guys to produce for an entire year. And a couple guys who recently got promoted from Bowie to Norfolk, um, Rylan Batten mm-hmm. and Dean Kramer. I thought um, I, that sort of caught my eye because they came over in the Machado tree, mm-hmm. which was just about one calendar year ago. They both produced for about a calendar year in Bowie and then got moved up. Whereas, of course, the quote-unquote, main piece of that trade. Um, Usneo Diaz has either been injured or inconsistent. He'll probably be at Bowie again next year. Mm-hmm. But it was encouraging to see guys like Bannon and Kramer moved up. I'm really curious uh, if they'll be in Major League Camp to start next year. And um, But as, as far as the lower-level guy like Henderson, I don't know the answer. I'm really curious to see if if their timetables are a little bit more accelerated lower and then once guys hit double AA, A, triple A, then they go back to that. Let's, let's see it for a whole year. Well, I'd be interested to see if, especially with the way Henderson's been swinging the bat recently, if he gets promoted up to Aberdeen to maybe help them try and make a, a playoff push because they're only about a half game out of a playoff spot as it stands right now. They have about 14 games left in their young in their short, short season. season. Right. right. Um, so maybe Henderson gets promoted up to Aberdeen to finish the year. I, I can't imagine them taking a guy who's as high profile of a pick as Gunnar Henderson and not starting him until June and having him just be at extended spring training yeah. for three months. You know, so I don't know. I, I can I see the merits of having him be at Aberdeen, but I would, I would imagine that he would be at Del Mar. Del Mar. You, would, you would have to think that he would be one of the youngest players on that roster, being. 18, 19, he would be 18 years old yeah. playing at Del Marva yeah. next year. So do they really want to do that? It'll be interesting to see. 
Right. And it'll okay. give us sort of more of a more even more of a window into how Sig and Mike are thinking about this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then, but I mean, likewise, you think about Grayson Rodriguez, you think about Drew Rom. These guys are 19 years old, and yeah, they got they got their start at Aberdeen last year, but their first full professional season they spent at Delmarva. So I think they will probably start at Delmarva. The more I think about it, the more I talk about it. Wouldn't be surprised if it's Aberdeen, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and think that Henderson's going to start at Delmarva. I think Grayson Rodriguez, definitely Frederick, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely Absolutely. And then maybe promoted to Bowie. Do you think they want to give him a full year at Frederick? I know he's on an innings limit this year. I know they want to keep his innings monitored next year. Just because he's so young, you would, you would almost think that they would just want to keep him there for a year. Maybe give him more rest between starts as, as the summer goes on. Um, he's he's proven what he can do in Delmarva, obviously. Um, maybe just like Blaine Knight, he goes to Frederick and has a couple hiccups to start, mm-hmm. uh, but then sort of figures things out. Um yeah, it'll be fun to see him. Um, I but yeah, I think he'll he'll probably be in Frederick for all of next season. I, I would expect. Yeah, maybe maybe a, a little push up towards the end of the year, like they did with some of their prospects this year. Yeah, it's sort of like we're seeing now, right? Yeah. But um, and then you look at guys Michael Bowman, uh, Zach Louther, Alex Wells. They're almost assuredly going to start at Norfolk, Norfolk next year. Yeah. Um, they've done and they've proven everything that they can prove at the Double A level. They'll probably go up to to Triple A. You look at you mentioned Dean Kramer. Bruce Zimmerman, they've already been promoted to Norfolk. So then when you move on, you look at a guy, a guys who are at Norfolk right now. Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, Keegan Aiken. I think these guys are on the major league roster to start next year. I would think Mountcastle and Hayes would have to be, and I was curious if you thought that we'd see them here, here shortly. I think that we're going to see Mountcastle. I mean, um, Mountcastle is raking. Um, I've heard you talk about it. He's probably just going to be one of those guys that doesn't walk right. and – is a free swinger and hopefully makes it work. And if he doesn't, then you know he can go work on that. But like, he he really has nothing else left to prove other than that he could walk. And like I've heard you say many times, it doesn't look he's like he's ever going to be that guy. So why try to force him to be someone that he's not? Now we're going back to this thing we were talking about earlier, like forcing your players into this three true outcomes thing. Right. Go swing, kid. If it works for you, go swing. Right. And you look at a guy like Adam Jones, who you know in 2012 he signed for 18 million dollars a year for six years and. I think his career high in walks for a season is like 36, yeah. right? So he never walked a lot. Vladimir Guerrero made a Hall of Fame career out of being a free swinger. Now, Ryan Mountcastle's 22 years old. We're not going to say he's anywhere close to Vladimir Guerrero. Or right? even Adam Jones. Or even Adam right. Jones. But the dude has ranked at every single minor league level. He's got 24 home runs right now. He's homered. He has five home runs in his last nine games, homers in three straight for, for AAA. I think that the only reason that he's still down there – there might be two reasons. One, service clock. Mm. Two, Chris Davis. You know, and, and I mean, and that's basically it. You have a roster spot that's taken up by Chris Davis, who you barely play anyway. I think Matt Hustle's up here, uh, if not September 1st, shortly thereafter. Hayes is, a, is another question mark for me because he's been often injured. You know, mm-hmm. he was the Orioles minor league player of the year in 2017. He was a finalist for the national minor league player of the year. Hit 329, 32 home runs, 95 RBIs. And some people thought he had an inside track at the Orioles starting right fielder job in 2018 until he hurt his shoulder, right? right? Then he broke his ankle. or I don't know if he broke his ankle, but he badly hurt his, hurt ankle, his ankle and, and hindered his entire season. He ended up having to have surgery. This year he's had the thumb injuries, had the hamstring injuries, and he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. For him, the name of the game is his health, first and foremost. I don't know that we're going to see him in September because he hasn't had that great of a year to begin with. Between four levels, he's at 242 right now. 
He's hitting 326 over his last 13 games in Norfolk with three home runs. But I think that they're going to, once the Norfolk season ends, Austin Hayes is going to be one of those guys who's going to be like, all right, solid year. You stayed fairly healthy for you. For you. Yeah. Let's let you rest, and we'll get back at it in the spring training and see how you, and see where you are. Yeah. But but rest up and get healthy for another one for next year. It it pains me, man. I um I use the words Nolan Rymel when talking about him. Uh, <laughs> I started thinking about that too earlier this year. And Nolan, Nolan Rymel was one of those things. It was a it, it was freak stuff. It wasn't yeah. just a, like like he made a, a stellar catch in, in falling into the stands. And pinched the nerve in his neck. Right. You know what I mean? And then and then that really just sidetracked his entire career. It was, if not one thing, it, uh, another. And it wasn't really that he had deteriorating body parts. It just he played with his hair on fire. Yep. You know what I mean? And then then you look at a guy like Keegan Aiken, who he had really two really great starts in a row where he went 10 innings combined with one run allowed. He had 13 strikeouts compared to three walks. It looked like he was getting, he's straightening out his up and down season. And then he goes out the other day and he goes three and gives up eight runs. And he gets his ERA almost close to five. I would like to think that, look, he spent the entire year at AAA with a new ball, with that with that juiced ball. Is Keegan Aiken a guy that we're going to see get a shot at the rotation next year? Because they don't have a lot of pieces for that rotation moving into 2020. Yeah, and based on some of the results that we've seen from him um, in AAA, the inconsistency, um, it. It sort of worries me. He, he sort of strikes me as maybe another Josh Rogers mm-hmm. who, you know, he shows up and the stuff just doesn't play. And um, at best, he's a, a long reliever, TJ McFarlane type, mm-hmm. which would be disappointing. And I'm not saying that's definitely what's going to happen. It's just like you were saying, he'll have two good stars and they get beat around, and three good stars and they get just really beat around. And it makes you worry if the stuff isn't going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my. Um, my, my expectations for him have sort of dropped over, you know, over the last few months. And mine have too, and I was really high on him coming into this year. Yeah. He was last year's organizational pitcher of the year, and you were expecting him to piggyback off of that coming into this year. And then very up and down. I, I, like we mentioned um, Adam McIntyre from the first half of the show, and when he was on the show back in May, he actually mentioned he thinks Keegan Aiken will end up being a long reliever yeah. in, in the Orioles, for the Orioles, if he makes it to the major league level. And... That's frustrating because you see these guys with potential, and he's a left-handed pitcher, and other than John Means, he doesn't really have left-handed starters. And so you have these high hopes for this guy. And Look, one bad year happens. I remember Mike Mussina in 1996 pitched almost, he pitched like a 4.89 ERA. One nineteen game because he scored 930 runs, but he pitched almost a 5 ERA. The next year he came back and his ERA was 3.5. He was Mike Mussina. And he was yeah. Mike Mussina. Yeah. So guys have bad years. It happens. But this early on in his career, after such a promising start to his career, and you have other lefties in the organization like um, Alex Wells, who also have had good careers but don't throw very hard either, you get nervous. Yep, absolutely. So, um, I've had the luck to watch Wells pitch twice in the last like month down at Bowie. He just happened to be pitching both days I was down there. I was impressed. Um, I, please don't get me wrong. I did not consider myself a scout at mm-hmm. all, but he was... Getting swings and misses, he had guys looking silly, um, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm as excited to see what he does at Norfolk as I was last year to see what Aiken was going to do. Right. At and the other guys, Zach Loff, I'm excited to see what he can do at Norfolk. I think next year's rotation. And Norfolk wasn't a very good team this year, and I think the next year's rotation, when you when you have Ballman and Zimmerman and Lowther 
and Alex Wells in that rotation. And maybe Keegan Aiken in there if he doesn't make it on the big league squad. I think that could be an interesting team to follow. And you can see a lot of those hitters from Bowie you move up to AAA. That, that could be a team that you, you're talking about Bowie right now going forward. Right in the playoff hunt. Right, right in the playoff hunt, two games out with 13 games to go. After a really, really slow start. Right, yeah. right. And the, I think they have the best record in that league in the second half. And you talk about that team right in the playoff hunt, that could be Norfolk next year. And with Bowie and with with, with Delmarva playing so well, Aberdeen playing so well, Gulf Coast League playing so well, the entire Orioles minor league system as a whole could be really, really great yeah, next year. You've seen that in the way that they've jumped up in the rankings just recently. Right. But again, in four months. this is something that these haters completely ignore. Right. right. Like, There's no progress, but what we can see at MLB level, and nothing matters that has happened other than what's happening right now. Right. Settle down. Exactly. There's, there's promising things coming yes. on the horizon for the Orioles. It's just not quite here yet. Um, I'm sorry. Let's talk about Hunter. Do you want to talk about Hunter Harvey? We would talk about better and better things. Right. Let's end on something really good that we have something to be excited about, like right now. Right. Hunter Harvey, last night, goes out there. And what was exciting to see about Harvey was... His mullet. His mullet. His mullet is, is a thing of beauty. Kenny they, Powers pitches for the Orioles. <laughs> right. It's pretty great. Right. If, if that's what you're into, the, the mullet is pretty freaking sweet. But this is a guy, he made it, drafted in 2013, so many injuries, Tommy John surgery. And again, more freak things that we're talking about with Hayes. Like, he got hit with, hit with a ball. Bat. Yeah, he got hit with a bat pitching, then he got hit with a ball in the dugout, right? Right. Yeah. And then, so this guy, first round draft pick, they're expecting him to be a front line, front of the rotation starter. His dad was an amazing pitcher for like 20 seasons, something like that. Um... Now, I could be wrong about that. I thought I remember seeing that, but it could have been 20 years ago. Either way, his dad pitched in the major leagues, was a closer in, in the major leagues. Sidetracked by injuries, comes up the other day, makes his major league debut against the Red Sox. Now, that was in a game they were losing 4 to nothing. Faces four hitters, strikes out two, walks one, no runs allowed. Last night, you see him, and it's a high leverage situation. Yeah. Top of the eighth inning, it's a one-to-one ball game. He comes in there, first battery faces has a 10-pitch at bat, but he wins He wins the battle, gets the out. Strikes out the next two guys, including Jorge Soler, on a painted 100-mile-an-hour fastball in the outside corner. And Soler was swinging for the fences. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he was taking some mighty hacks, and you could tell that that was, like, sort of ramping up Harvey even more. Like, that was a, that was a fun little battle to watch. And again, this is why we watch a bad baseball team, for little moments like that, right? right. Like, you got this guy's like, all right, kid, give me your best stuff. And you got a kid saying, here it is. And he, like you said, he's, he swung through two fastballs and then just got frozen by 100 on the black. Right. And this is just something that, again, Adam McIntyre mentioned Hunter Harvey as being a relief option for the Orioles. And shortly thereafter, he moved to a relief role. And that was something I found interesting because when a guy, it, it reminds me of 2014. I remember I worked at Masson in 2014. And I said to Rick Dempsey, do you think the Orioles could use Zach Britton as a closer? This is when Tommy Hunter was blowing up and giving yeah. up giving up leads yep. in the ninth inning seemingly every night. And I was like, he's got 98, a 98-plus 98 sinker, and he throws for strikes and he gets swings and misses. And Dempsey did this whole demo for me, telling me why. He even like went into like, oh, a wind-up and a delivery, and like he mimicked it, telling me why Zach Britton was going to stay a starter. Oh, within a <laughs> Within a week. Zach Britton was the closer and became an all-star closer for right. the Orioles. Now, look, I'm not taking credit for it, though I'd like to. <laughs> but it reminds me of that, where 
Hunter Harvey is a guy who's throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour. He's got a, he's got a solid curveball, got good off-speed pitches, and when he can ramp it up, he can be unhittable. Yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up Britain. Like, just like being a closer wasn't what any of us envisioned for Zach Britton when he was starting, obviously being a late-inning late reliever isn't what any of us envisioned for Hunter Harvey when he was drafted in the first round in 2013. It's not what he envisioned while he was working his way up through the minors. Mm-hmm. But it's just at, not what he envisioned. Right, but at, at some point you have to just sort of say this is what you're going to be. And if he can do this, like he's he's faced seven batters, he struck out four of them, he's averaging 99 miles an hour on his fastball. Right. If, if this is what's going to work for him as opposed to being a starter and trying to go longer, like he was getting beat around the buoy a little bit mm-hmm. as a starter before he got moved up to the, um, the bullpen. Right, if you talk to Adam, done great since then. You know, no one's saying he's going to keep being a shutdown reliever. He's he's getting a lot of the plate. I've noticed that you want to nitpick, but it's it, it's fun to be able to say, all right, here's a prospect. Um, he's coming in and he's getting results. Like poor Brandon Hyde has been just wanting to be able to count on anyone from the bullpen. Right. And if he can count on Hunter Harvey to give you an inning two or three times a week for the next two months, it's or the next six weeks, uh, it's, it's going to make his life a lot easier. And again, it'll give Orioles fans something to watch. Right, and I think that, honestly, people can be a little bit more excited about this team moving into next year than they are this year because you look at just the bullpen alone. And look, there was all this talk about trading Michael Gibbons, right? But Michael Gibbons is under team control through 2022. Uh, Miguel Castro under team control through 2023. He's pitched to a sub-3 RA over his last 30 games. Uh, Richard Blyer under team control through 2023. He's pitched to a sub-4 ERA over his last 15 games. Hunter Harvey, Dylan Tate, who is another guy who was a highly touted prospect as a starting pitcher, who actually asked the Orioles to put him into a relief role this year, and the results have been stellar, just like Hunter Harvey. He's already got a cup of coffee at the major league level. There are some guys that the Orioles could have in that bullpen next year in Harvey, Tate, Gibbons, and then you look at a guy like Paul Fry, who's been solid this year. They're really the most consistent reliever they've had. And you start to see that maybe this team, look, they're not suddenly going to win 85 games next year, but maybe they don't give up 330 home runs. Like right. They paced into right. This year. Maybe, they, maybe, maybe they don't have us talking about the mercy rule because the Wolfen can't get anybody out. Right. Maybe poor Brandon Hyde, you know, isn't giving quotes um, in the postgame. They're sort of making you raise your eyebrows mm. and that are making some of those players maybe want to fight them um, because the results aren't so ridiculous. So, yeah. Um, going into next year, hopefully the bullpen will be something we can at least look at and say, all right, well, at least, you know, will be in games late, which is sort of what we expected this year, right? Like, you and I both talked about how um, we didn't expect this year to be as bad as last year, but it ended up being, in some ways, worse, like you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is because of the bullpen has been so bad. Right. Right? So, well, not having that would be nice. And, and, and a big thing about that would also be figuring it out with Tanner Scott and Jimmy Acabonis, because those guys, they have filthy stuff. They can't consistently throw strikes. But if they ever can and if they can ever really control that strike zone, that could be a formidable bullpen for years to come. But we'll see. This year it's been far from formidable. But we do need something to look forward to as Orioles fans because 40 wins this year, 47 last year. You know, the Red Sox won won almost 30 more games than the Orioles did in the last two years, just last year. Let me play on the spot before we end. How How many wins did they end up with? This year? Yeah. Oh, man. They're at forty. They're at forty. Right they're now. at forty right now. They have the and they have a tough September. They're gonna get to fifty. Fifty. They're gonna get to fifty wins. I was gonna say fifty-one. 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 All right. Well, optimism. To end, yeah. To end the payoff. Yeah, we we have to. Hey, 
If they improve over last year in the record, I'm okay with it. If they if they win 47 or less, I'm going to be a little disappointed. But it's a season full of disappointment. Same. So, but that's going to do it for us here on the Payoff Pitch. Thanks again to Derek Arnold for joining me today. Derek, really appreciate you coming on the show. Always a good time. Thank you, Paul. I had a blast. Absolutely, man, as always. Uh, tune in next week. We'll talk more about the Orioles here on the Payoff Pitch. Until then, go us.